Good morning. Welcome to Faith in the Morning. Something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. Thank you for joining me today. Faith in the Morning exists to help you start your day with faith and encouragement. However you're watching, I'm so glad that you're watching today. Whether you're watching on a live stream on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, or Faith Plus, watching on Faith Plus On Demand, or listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I'm so glad that you're part. Hey, starting next Friday, we're going to have interviews with a number of faith-filled, Holy Ghost-filled authors and speakers who will encourage you to live this lifestyle of faith. I'm looking forward to sharing a, a whole bunch of interviews with you this summer that's encouraged you to live the lifestyle of faith. And so I've lined up some wonderful speakers this summer and it's going to start next Friday. So make sure you pay attention to the Faith Morning Podcast next week as we give you more details as we have our very first special guest of the year with us next Friday. And so, of course, our Friday podcast going forward will be a little bit longer than our normal five to seven minute daily devotionals. And today, we're not going to have an interview today, but I want to remind you of a message because one of the things we've been doing throughout the month of May is moving into our future supernaturally, going after the call of God upon our lives. And I know you've had so much progress and the Lord has shared things with you and you've taken some steps forward, but I don't want you to forget, although that you are called to be supernatural, there is a kryptonite that can rob you of the future that God has for you. There is a kryptonite that can rob you of the powers that God has given you. And so even as we go forward, I think it would be good for us to remember and look at that kryptonite. So I want to share with you a message I preached about kryptonite. We shared on the first part of the series how what it means to truly be born again, how we are born again for the ink from the incorruptible seed of the word of God. We looked at how Hebrews says the word is alive. It is powerful and it's sharp. And a seed always produces after his own kind. Say a seed always produces after his own kind. So that means you're alive with the life of God. That means you're powerful. You're filled with the power of God. And you're sharp. You have wisdom and insight that's uncanny to this age because you were born again from the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Then we talked about what it meant to be redeemed from the curse of the law. We defined the curse and we defined the blessing as well. How because you are the seed of Abraham, because you belong to Jesus Christ, you are blessed with faithful Abraham. So we've, we're just beginning in the series talking about who you are in Christ Jesus. There's many other things which are called new creation realities that are for you to walk in right now, that it is the truth. It is the fact, it is the benefit that you have of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we look at all of these things that the Bible says we are in our new covenant, in the New Testament, it almost reminds me of the superhero Superman. And you got to think about Superman and his abilities, and godlike abilities. He can fly, leap over a building a single bound, bulletproof, you can do all of those things. He is invulnerable until, say until. He can do all these things until, say until. Come on, he can move mountains until, say until. Someone pulls out this small little green rock called kryptonite. That although he's empowered by the sun to do all these things, kryptonite depowers him. Say depower. And so it gets me to thinking that if Superman could be depowered by this little rock, could there be something that depowers the born-again believer? Is there something that depowers the blessing that's on your life? Is something that depowers the power God wants you to walk in? Is there something that will rob you of the superhuman, supernatural life? You know, I began to think about stories in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, how Joshua, the Joshua's generation, 
where they went to battle, they took Jericho with a supernatural victory. Anybody remember the victory over Jericho where the walls came tumbling down? They took that city. It was strong. It was fenced in. Now there was another city called Ai. It's Ai. They're going to say it's a little city. It's nothing compared to Jericho. We don't even have to send the full army. Just a little bit. We can take them, be back before nightfall. They go to war against Ai, and guess what? It's a humiliating defeat. Joshua comes back to God. He falls on his face. He's crying, God, what happened? You said we were blessed. You said the promised land was ours. You said this. You said that. And God says, get up. Get off your face. What you crying for? He said there's sin in the camp. Now, now notice this. Notice this. What happened? Sin got in. We can study Achan later and what his sin actually was in the book of Joshua. But sin stopped the blessing from working on the people of God. So they went out to battle, not knowing the power wasn't there, and they got defeated. Could that maybe give us some insight why sometimes we have victories, and other times we get our butts kicked? You shout in one day, and the next day it's woe is me. You get this huge victory, but then that small little ant trips you. Could there be something that depowers us? Just like Joshua and the children of Israel. Because what's interesting, if you want to be a good Bible student, good Bible scholar, then when you study the Old Testament, you also have to see, well, does this apply under the New Testament? Because we have a different covenant. We have a new covenant based on better promises. So you have to see, is there a correlation in the New Testament, in the new covenant? Does it apply to my everyday life? And remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Balaam. Anybody remember Balaam? We looked at one of the verses in Numbers 23, verse 20. He was hired to try to curse Israel, and God dealt with them. And he said, behold, I have received commandment to bless, and God has blessed, and I can't reverse it. God has blessed them. I can't make them curse. It's like you can't curse what God has blessed. I can't do it. And the scripture says later, God turned what Balaam did and made it into a blessing. And so Balaam says, I can't mess with the blessing that's on their life. But I also told you a couple weeks ago that Balaam has talked about three different times in the New Testament. It'd be one time if you're mentioning the New Testament, but three different times and each person says, don't do what he did. You know, that's an example you don't need to follow. When Peter, Jude, and Jesus said, don't you be like him. So let's look at what they said, because maybe that'll give us some insight of what depowers us today. Second Peter chapter two, verse 15, New Living Translation. It says, they have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. So notice that the whole reason Balaam was even involved in that situation was because he wanted to secure the bag at any cost. He knew what he was doing was wrong, but he said, if the paycheck is right... I'm, I'm willing to overlook my morals. If you add another zero or two or three or four, we can begin the negotiations. Can you be bought? See, that's not even my message. Let me keep going. That's not even my message today. Go to Jude chapter one. Jude chapter one. Balaam had a price tag. That's why when you read Numbers 23, the king kept asking, offering him more money. So we'll give him this. Well, give him this. Come on. We know he's expensive. Let's, let's add another gift to it. 
Let's look what we see what happened because we looked at that story a couple weeks ago. But look what Jude said. Jude is Jesus' little brother. Jude chapter 1, verse 11. He says, what sorrow awaits them for they follow in the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. Now, you know, you really don't want to be associated with Cain. If it starts out with Cain, then Balaam and Korah, they, those are three people you don't want to be like. But notice the company Balaam is keeping. But notice what it says about Balaam now. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. Now, but the story we read a couple weeks ago, Balaam wasn't deceiving anybody. He was just trying to curse people for money. He wasn't deceiving anyone yet. But the story of Balaam in the Old Testament doesn't end there. There's another part of the story. Say there's part two. See, Jesus talks about part two in Revelation chapter two. So let's go there. Revelation chapter two, verse 14. Let's look what Jesus said to a New Testament church about Balaam. So we see Jesus wasn't a fan of Balaam either. He said, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. So Balaam knew he couldn't stop the blessing. And so when Balak called him, offered him more money, he said, well, you know, I can't turn the blessing on them, but there's something you can do to get them to stop it. We can't stop it, but they can stop it. And if you add a few more zeros, I'll teach you how to teach them to stop it. And so they set a trap. Say they set a trap. They set out the temptation, and Israel fell for that temptation. They fell into sexual immorality. And then when Jesus is talking about eating food, sacrifice aisles, he's not saying you bought a burger from the Temple of Diana. That's not what he's talking about. It's a whole process. It's a whole ceremony. That the numbers cause it that they joined themselves to Baal. So they began to worship false gods as they're involved in the sexual immorality trap that Balaam taught Balak to set for them. And what happened? The blessing stopped working and brought them to a halt. Judgment came into their life just like that. So there's something in this new covenant that can stop the blessing from working in your life that can stop you from living the superhuman life, bring you to a halt in your tracks, and leave you depowered just like if Superman ran into kryptonite. And the reason I had you go to 1 Corinthians is because the church at Corinth is a great picture of it. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So today's message is called kryptonite. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll start with verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 4, excuse me. It says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him. That's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good so far, right? It says, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ which was confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, utterance and knowledge, he's not just talking about you're smart and you can talk good. No. He's talking about spiritual gifts, which he defines in 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14. He says, not only do you guys have the gifts of the Spirit operating in your life, you come behind a no gift. You have all nine working. That's pretty good. What church today can say, I got all nine working on a regular basis. That's, that's pretty good. That, that's good. Give them the props where props are due. They're doing pretty good. And then he says, especially in the utterance gifts which is tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy. 
and the knowledge gift, the word of knowledge. Especially in those, you guys are operating at a high level. You come behind no gift. No, everybody else has to learn from you on how to flow in the gifts. That's pretty good so far, say so far. But Paul keeps going, so he keeps going. Let's skip down to verse 10. It says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so in the authority of Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared unto you, my brethren, by them who are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, you got to remember, Paul is not in Corinth at this point. He's in another city writing this letter. But stuff got so bad in Corinth, people in Chloe's household said, we got to let Paul know it's getting bad down here. So they paid their way to wherever Paul was in the Roman Empire, found him and said, bro, you got to know what is going on back in Corinth. And when they talk about the word contentions and divisions, in the Greek, it paints a picture of a civil war. A civil war has broken out in the church of Corinth. And you think it has to be about something deep, something theological, something that really matters. Next verse. Now this I say that every one of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, that's Peter, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Because I think, my God, I didn't baptize none of y'all. And he lists a few people and families he baptized. I'm glad it was only them and not the rest of you. So what were they fighting about? What was the civil war of Corinth about? The favorite ministry style. It was a matter of preference. One said, I like the way Paul preaches. He has a way of preaching. I like the way Apollos preaches. He has a way of preaching. I like the way Peter preaches. And other ones who are just super spiritual and trying to ignore everybody. It's like, oh, I don't follow people. I only follow Christ. And Paul's like, I'll deal with y'all later. So they're fighting. The strife, the civil war begins over the issue of personal preference. Something that did not matter in the big scheme of things. Something that was not theological. Nothing to fight over. It was just a matter of personal preference. Instead of dealing with this, hey, we can agree to disagree or we just like different things. They went out to an all-out war. This is not a one-day occurrence. It kept going. So you know when you have strife like this, everybody is offended. Everybody, their mama, sugar mama, big mama, poppy, everybody is offended right now in the church of Corinth. Everybody, because of whose ministry style was the favorite. Go to chapter 3. And so he keeps addressing this. Look what he says in verse 3. You are still worldly. That's how it says in the new NIV. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? The new King James says this way, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? See, that's where I got the title for this series in this book. No longer mere mortals. One translation says, aren't you behaving as mere mortals? 
Meaning Paul's talking about you're not a mere mortal. You're not a mere human. You're not a mere man. You're not a mere woman, but you're acting like one. You've come down from the level of living you should be at. You should be at superhuman status, but now you're acting like mere mortals. And what does James 3.16 tell us? For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now, is, is there strife here in Corinth? Is there envy in Corinth? Is there jealousy in Corinth? So guess what is also going to be in Corinth? Confusion and every evil work. Strife opens the door. Say strife opens the door. See, because it gets worse, and later on in chapter 3, verse 21, the New Living Translation says it this way. So don't boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to you. And so what is it talking about? It says you guys went from fighting over who's your favorite. Now you're boasting about who baptized you. Well, Peter baptized me. Paul baptized me. No, he didn't. He just wrote that he didn't. Apollos baptized me. They are now proud of who baptized them. Not proud, it's like, oh, I'm just so glad to be baptized, but proud entering into pride. So now it's strife, envy, jealousy, pride. Let's go to chapter 5. Say chapter 5. Chapter 5 is a doozy. So I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Chapter 5, verse 1, New Living Translation. Notice what the Apostle Paul, the anointed man of God, said. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. What he said, y'all sinning worse than the sinners. (laughs) And see, Corinth wasn't a conservative city that was known for chaste living. Corinth was a wild place. Now, the Roman Empire has very loose morals altogether, but Corinth was worse than them all. To such a point, there was a phrase back then that if you had a wild Friday night, they said you acted like a Corinthian. That's what that city was known for. That whole phrase, if it feels good, do it, that was their motto. That's what they believed in. That's what they did all the time. And now Paul is saying, you Christians, you saints, you holy people, are sinning worse than the sinners of Corinth. See, even the baby said amen. Y'all quiet, but the baby will preach me down. Notice he defines it. He said, I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves. But you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. Verse 6, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? So they weren't concerned about this dude. They weren't writing, Paul, how do we handle this situation? How do we pray about this? How do we talk about how they, they were proud of it? Yes, we got a guy in the church sleeping with his stepmama. It's not a secret. The whole church knows about it. And they're proud of it. They're boasting about it. What do you see here? Confusion. They're now confused about sexuality. They're confused about what is sexually moral 
and they're confused about what's sexually immoral. You see it right here because they're boasting that someone is sleeping with their stepmom. Now, the thing is, that's not where the confusion ended because in chapter 7, verse 1, they wrote Paul this question. It's not good for a man to touch a woman. It's not saying, okay, don't touch nobody. They said, well, it's not good for a man to sleep with his wife. Absolute confusion. One extreme to the other. They're now confused. They don't know what is true. They don't know which way is north. They don't know up from down. And these are the saints of the Most High God who walked in power. Now they're confused. The fog of kryptonite has got their mind now. Let's look at chapter 6. Strife, envy, jealousy, people offended. Sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. He's like, if you don't know what to do, run. He said, I didn't say rebuke it. He said, I didn't say speak against it, hightail it, and go the other direction. Because notice he defines, he says, every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Notice that, notice that. Remember, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is what? Death. And he says, when you commit sexual immorality, you are hurting yourself. You will hurt your physical body. This is a warning. Because they have questions about why things are going on in their lives, and Paul is pinpointing it. He says, this is why. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought with, at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's or belong to God. He says, there's strife, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's confusion, and now your sin is hurting your own physical body. But it doesn't stop there. Say, so it doesn't stop there. Go to chapter 11. See, this kryptonite just keeps adding up. Just more and more. Now, last week, Pastor Curry did a great job breaking down and explaining communion. Now, one of the things we learned about chapter 11 is how they took communion back then, about 1900, 2000 years ago. They did it in the church of Corinth a certain way. There's many different ways to receive communion, and they're all valid. And one of the ways they did was a valid way. They had a whole feast together. They would gather together and have, like, church-wide dinner. Nothing wrong with that. And during the church-wide dinner, they're going to receive communion. Nothing wrong with that. But remember, they're full of jealousy, aren't they? They're boasting, aren't they? They're full of pride, aren't they? They're envious, aren't they? They're in strife with each other, aren't they? So the way they are having this communion ceremony is a lot different. So they're all bringing food. So people are bringing food to this feast, right? And just like in a natural, some people have more food than others, right? And so they're bringing food to this feast. And you might think, well, I'm bringing a lot because I'm going to eat a lot. Not a problem. Well, I'm bringing a snack because I'm on keto. Not a problem. You do you, boo. Whatever. But that wasn't the issue. 
the people who had more were bringing more to show off. And Paul's like, you didn't even share. And the issue wasn't that they didn't share. They were eating in front of them to show off. He said, look what food I got. See, you got fried chicken from Popeye's. Grandmama made my fried chicken. They're showing off their food in front of them and eating in front of them and eating so fast and drinking so fast that they're drunk in front of the rest of the church for the whole purpose of boasting and showing that I'm better than you. And notice what he says in verse 28. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself. That word damnation means penalty, punishment, judgment. You think you're receiving a blessing, but you're receiving judgment and punishment with every single bite. Why? Not discerning the Lord's body. Now, it's not just talking about the communion elements. Of course, that's included. But when we look at this whole letter in context, and what Paul says later, we are members of the body of Christ. Not discerning the Lord's body is not just the communion elements. It's how you treat your brother and sister in Christ. And then he goes on, so he goes on. Some of you are like, oh, I wish he stopped by now. Y'all are getting as quiet as your brothers and sisters in Fayetteville. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep is talking about dying prematurely. Remember, this is a Holy Ghost-filled church. Powerful church. Had every gift working. Overflowing in the gifts. Doing pretty well. But now they're running into situations they seem they just can't fix. They're weak. They can't get their strength back. They're sick, and they can't shake that sickness off. And they're wondering why all these people are dying prematurely in their church. They've been wondering why. And Paul's telling them exactly why. Because you have to realize the kryptonite of a believer is strife. And strife will depower you every single time. And then it will leave you exposed. Exposed. Say exposed. They're exposed to the tactics of the enemy now. He could come in with sexual immorality. He can come in with confusion. Envy, jealousy is taking off. Pride is taking off. Because now he gets to do what he really wants to do. Remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he stoned the word from them because, you know, they're not holding the word anymore. Because remember, Mark chapter 4, affliction and persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, five, Satan's five tactics. He stoned the word from them. So now their lives are going to begin to look like that they never received the word in the first place. They're vulnerable. They're depowered. And so now he begins to pick them off. Some are weak. Some are sick. And some he can just take out. What is he doing? Erasing the church of Corinth. Slowly but surely, taking each and every one out because they're depowered and they're no longer a threat. And how does Paul begin to end this chapter? For if we would judge ourselves, 
we would not be judged. The enemy had the open door. They opened the door. Now, if they opened the door, guess what? They could close it. Look, if you leave your windows and doors open, you get mad the bugs fly in. You can swap them down all day long. Or you can close your windows and your doors. Set up a screen, something. It's up to you. So if you don't like the stuff that's showing up in your house, judge yourself, not your neighbor. He said, examine yourself, judge yourself, not the person down your road. Because you got baptized by somebody else. Or you think that you're better than them. Whatever super spiritual reason you created why you think you're better. Paul's like, y'all need help. You've exposed yourself. You depowered yourself. Because see, what happens when we get to this point of being depowered, we begin to wear it like a badge of honor. You put kryptonite as a necklace. And we just walk around and we wonder, well, why can't I feel better? Why can't I get healed? Why is the blessing not working for me? Where's my breakthrough? Where's my victory? Why are things not working out for me? You know, I, I guess God just doesn't love me like he loves that person. I guess, you know, that prophet can be supernatural. That evangelist can be supernatural. That church mother, but it can't happen to me. I'm not seeing the results in my life. What's on your necklace? Just walking around depowered and vulnerable when you've been born again. What have you exposed yourself to? Because see what happens after people, you know, wear a kryptonite necklaces long enough. And they stay in this long enough. But guess what happens after that? Say, what happens after that? Say, come on, tell us, pastor, what happens after that? Come on, say, say, tell us what happens after that. After people get stuck in this lifestyle for a while, they become kryptonite distributors. Let's depower you. Let's depower you. Let's depower you. We just got to pass out. You see, people just receive it. They just take kryptonite, and they, that's just what they do. And if they can't hand it, they tweet it. Share it. TikTok it. They gossip. Oh, they don't gossip in the church. Of course they do. First Thessalonians, second Thessalonians. That was Paul's main critique of the church at Thessaloniki. Y'all doing great, but stop gossiping. He even says, some of y'all need to go get a job so y'all stop running your mouth and going over everybody's house, spreading people's business. That is first and second Thessalonians. He says it again and again. Y'all doing great in this area, but shut up. Have you become a kryptonite distrib distributor? Have you been passing out kryptonite? Because you can't keep your mouth shut? Well, they're wrong. They could be, but now so are you. Is it your job to address that? Well, no, somebody has to, but is you that somebody? Did you talk to Jesus about it? Did he tell you to talk to them about it? Hmm? Because, see, we can religiousize it and justify it, but it's still going to be kryptonite. Not only are you depowered, now you've depowered a community. Satan loves setting up kryptonite distributors in churches. 
makes them all religious too. Because he loves to keep a church depowered, weak, unable to make a difference in their community. And so the question is, if someone brings you kryptonite, will you be like all my brothers and sisters who just received it? Or it's like, you know what, I don't want that. It's like, no, 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 I'm not here. So when someone tells you, come we'll see you with gossip about somebody else, what are you going to do about it? I like for one of my elders, one of their examples they did, someone came up to them and they were um, gossiping about another minister because they didn't like the way he taught or some of the things he believed. And so he just stopped him right there, grabbed his hands. Like, well, he was in a meeting with ministers. Like, well, so-and-so has a burden on their heart for brother so-and-so. Let's pray for them right now. They stopped gossiping at that moment. <laughs> Are you going to receive the kryptonite and keep passing on? Or are you going to stop? It's like, no, I don't want any of that here. Uh-uh, we're going to live superhuman lives. We're going to be supernatural here. I don't have time for that drama because drama loves company. And with everything going on in the world now, we don't have time to live depowered. We have to live the superhuman life. We have to live as supernatural people. We have work to do. And it's work that won't be done in our own natural ability alone. But it's be empowered by the spirit of God. Under the blessing of God. So we have to say no to strife. No to envy. No to jealousy. Because they open the doors to confusion and sexual immorality and every evil work. Yes, God still wants you to live holy in 2022. He said, well, we know it was the pandemic was tough. We had to move in together. I understand, but so what are you going to do about it now? Y'all been dating 10 years and still haven't gotten married? Let's, let's talk. See, people aren't even looking straight anymore. They're looking to the side. <laughs> Someone online, I was like, oh, that's not for me. That's somebody else on YouTube. Oh, I don't have money for a wedding. Who said you got to spend money on a wedding? You know, I've done more private weddings than probably in-person weddings. It takes 10 minutes. And that's with me talking slow, and y'all know I talk fast. <laughs> so how many reasons will you come up with to stay depowered? How many reasons will you come up with to justify your situation and your lifestyle? When the Bible calls us to repent, which means change your mind and change your direction. That's all you have to do. It's like, you know what? What I'm doing is not right. I need to stop doing that. Father, forgive me for doing it. It's as simple as that. So what do I do after that? So well, I'm in this situation. I know how to get out. That's why you got a pastor. You don't have to come to church. You know, I know a lot of you like your mask, but you don't have to wear the other mask. I'm not talking about the mask over your mouth. I'm talking about the mask you put over your emotions and your face and all the other stuff. Oh, yes, Pastor, everything is right with me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hi-ya! Oh, I felt something. I don't know if it was beans or the Holy Ghost, but I felt something. That's why you have a pastor. Say, so, well, how, you know, how do I reach out? That's why you call the office. What, do you meet with people? Yes. 
Say, oh, I don't want him to know my business. I know a lot of business. I don't talk about it. I tell people I'm where secrets go to die. And some people say, well, you know, I don't want to show up. Pastor knows my business. I know you better show up. You better not disappear on me. I threaten people say, you better not disappear just because something happened. I want to see you every single Sunday. I need to hear some extra amens from you. If you're watching online, I need you to make sure I know. Don't make me come find you. When you do something stupid, that's not the time to disappear. That's not the time to become a lone wolf. That's not the time to say, well, I'm just going to, you know, be by myself, just me and Jesus. Mm-mm. Satan loves to snipe lone wolves. He loves to snipe sheep that have wandered off. That's the time to get even closer. So people know my business. Well, you stop posting about it, they wouldn't. It's like, oh, people know my business. Stop. You don't have to put it on Twitter. Facebook does not have to be your personal blog. You can get a notebook. That could help. One of the things we realized over the last two years is how much we needed each other more than ever. This is not the time to be loners. So well, I'm an introvert. We'll be with other introverts. Five minutes, stare at each other, look at your phones. Oh, there was a good meeting together. We'll see you next time. <laughs> and if you miss it the next time, then know something's up. We need each other. We have to be connected. He said, well, people get on my nerves. You get on somebody's nerves, too. <laughs> so I says, one another, bear with one another, which means put up with each other. We all have different parts of our personality that gets on someone else's nerves. We're people. That's what happens. But God saw fit to call us all together, to walk forward together, to live the supernatural life together, to go forward to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influence the world through the power, the love of Jesus. But we need to get rid of that kryptonite. So take some time today and this week, examine yourself. Is there some kryptonite in your life that you need to get rid of? Some changes you need to make? Need some help making those changes? Call the office. Set up an appointment. We'll talk. We'll help you. We're in this together. Say, I'm not in this by myself. Say, I have a faith family. Because you know, accountability helps you live right. When someone else knows to check on you, it helps you live right. Because you may not know enough to live right from the Bible, but you know, a sister or brother so-and-so is going to ask. So I better, you know what? I've heard testimonies of people who got out of alcoholism just because they knew somebody was going to ask on Sunday. And they started saying, well, I can't smell like alcohol at church, so I won't drink on Saturday. That's where it started. Well, I won't drink on Friday either. I won't drink on Thursday. And then they just stopped drinking altogether. Community. The faith family. We're in this together. You say, well, my past is embarrassing. Well, that's why there's the blood. It washes away all your sin. You don't have to be embarrassed by where you've come from or what you've done. Jesus paid the price. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. But you must make that step to come forward, to leave the past behind. And if you picked up some kryptonite along the way, it's time to leave that down to you. It's time to go forward because God has a wonderful, marvelous future for you. 
Amen. I'm going to stop that message right there. Thank you once again for joining Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you next week and especially next Friday as we launch a brand new series of interviews on Faith in the Morning. Have a great day. God bless. Amen. I'm going to stop that interview right there. Thank you so much. Amen. I'm going to stop the message right there. Thank you so much for joining us today for Faith in the Morning. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, Faith Christian Center and Carrick Butler. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Faith in the Morning. I'm so glad that you joined us today. Know something good is going to happen to you. Expect miracles. I'll see you next time on Faith in the Morning. God bless.